In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Ever since she was a teenager, my sister has had a working theory that where there are tents, there is cake. One weekday afternoon when we were in college, she put that theory to the test. Lisa and her friend Courtney were driving down the street just outside of Lancaster past the local NBC affiliate. It sits up on a hill and they saw up at the end of the long driveway a big white tent, one like you'd rent for a wedding reception. And they instantly had the same thought, there's cake up there. So they turned around and drove up the driveway and lo and behold, there was cake. And they each took a piece and got back in the car and drove away. Nobody has any idea why there was cake in that tent. It might've been a private reti retirement party. It could have been a community outreach event. We have no idea. All I know is that 20 years later, Lisa still firmly believes that where there are tents, there is cake. Cake is such an interesting food, isn't it? It's often used to mark happy occasions like weddings and baptisms and birthdays. Sometimes, like here at Christ Church today, cake can be used to mark sad occasions like a going away party. And whether you believe Marie Antoinette once flippantly said, let them eat cake and thus started the French Revolution or not, cake has a long history that could date back as far as 32,000 years ago in a Paleolithic cave. Like most things with a long history, the cakes of today look nothing like the cakes of the ancient past. Ancient cakes were designed with two goals in mind. First, they needed to last a long time without spoiling. And second, they had to pack as many calories and nutrients as possible inside. Flour, honey, water, nuts, and fruit were combined to provide long-lasting energy for the difficulties of ancient life. Though I suspect any Paleolithic cave dweller would have paid good money or whatever it is they used to eat a cake that gave them enough energy to last 40 days and 40 nights. But that's exactly what we hear happened to Elijah in the lesson from 1 Kings this morning. Now, Elijah's cake was definitely one of those sad cakes. Our story begins with Elijah so tired and so depressed that he sat down underneath a scrubby broom tree in the desert and asked God to take his life. If you think that's a strange way to start a story, you would be correct. We're missing all kinds of really important details that start more than three years earlier at another cake-eating event, a wedding. Ahab, the king of Israel, married Jezebel, who was the daughter of the king of Sidon. And he immediately began to worship her god, Baal, instead of the god of Israel. First Kings says that Ahab did more to provoke the anger of God than all the kings that had come before him. And that's doing some work, my friends. Because Baal was the God of storms and fertility, God sent Elijah 
to prophesy to Ahab to say a drought is coming. For three years, it will ravage the land. Wisely, after he delivered that word to Ahab, Elijah hightailed it to the other side of the Jordan River, where he lived being sustained by bread and meat that was brought to him by ravens morning and night. He stayed there until the drought got so bad that the water dried up and eventually made his way to the city of Zarephath in Sidon where he met a widow who fed herself, her son, and Elijah from cakes, there's that word, made from the last drop of oil and the last handful of meal that she had left. And it fed them for months, if not years, on end. After three years of drought, Elijah went back to Ahab, prophesied again because Ahab and Jezebel had spent those three years systematically killing all the prophets of God. And then he challenged the prophets of Baal and the prophets of Asherah to a battle of the gods. And here's where things get interesting. You thought ravens feeding him was interesting. No, no, it gets better. 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Asherah met Elijah on Mount Carmel. The terms of the battle were simple. Whoever's God provided fire for the sacrifice was the true God. So the prophets of Baal and Asherah picked their bull and Elijah picked his. The prophets prepared their altar and from morning until noon danced around it, screaming and crying out, for Baal to answer their prayers, and nothing happened. Elijah mocked them, saying, Yell louder. Your God might be meditating. Maybe he fell asleep. They yelled all the louder, and they cut themselves with swords, and they danced from noon until sunset, and still nothing happened. So Elijah prepared his altar. But he added a couple of things. He dug a trench all the way around it and he got 12 jars of water and poured it on top so that the bull and the wood were drenched and the trench was filled with water. Elijah called out to the Lord his God and immediately fire rained down from heaven. It consumed the bull and the wood and the altar and the dust and even licked up the water from the trench. It was clear whose God was the true God. And the prophets of Baal were put to death, as was the punishment for false prophets. Now Ahab and Jezebel didn't take too kindly to this. They vowed to kill Elijah, and so he ran a day's journey into the wilderness where he sat down under a broom tree, exhausted, afraid, and hopeless, and asked God to take his life, for it would be easier than what was to come. And then he fell asleep. Now, if I had been fed by ravens, if I had watched a widow feed me for years off of a drop of oil and a handful of meal, it'd be hard to get surprised again. But God surprises Elijah when an angel taps him on the shoulder and wakes him up and says, 
eat, drink. And Elijah looked, and there was a cake. A cake cooked on a hot stone. And so he ate, and he drank, and he fell asleep again. And the angel woke him up again and said, eat and drink again, for the journey will be too much for you if you don't. And so he ate and he drank and the cake sustained him for 40 days as he journeyed from Mount Carmel to Mount Horeb or Mount Sinai, where he became one of just a handful of people who had the chance to see the glory of God and live. Every Sunday, and hopefully more often than that, we pray the Lord's Prayer, where we ask God to provide us our daily bread. Last Sunday, we heard the story from Exodus where God provided manna, a flaky substance that's full of nutrients that gave the Israelites energy for the journey. Sometimes daily bread looks like that. The story of Elijah, even amidst a great drought and famine, God sustains the prophet with a cake. Now, it might not be a Duncan Hines dark chocolate fudge cake with creamy chocolate buttercream icing, but it was substantial enough for the journey ahead. Sometimes daily bread is a cake that has to carry us for a long, long time. Later this morning, as a community of disciples, we will share cake with Laura Goodwin as we wish her well on the next phase of her life's journey. Over the last 12 years, this community has shared lots of cake and cookies and crawfish with Laura. But through the grace of God, these last few pieces of cake will sustain our relationship with her, despite the distance that is to come. And sometimes, daily bread looks like that, a reminder of our fellowship in Christ. Since the start of the pandemic and the months-long suspension of Holy Eucharist, I've learned not to take God's daily bread for granted. In fact, as things seem to be ramping up again, I'm more committed than ever to not simply seek out daily bread, but to be on the lookout for those points in life where God is inviting me to enjoy a piece of cake. A cake that will sustain for the work ahead and to remind me of the love that we all share in Christ. I hope that each of you will join me in looking for God's daily bread. The journey ahead is long and seems to only be getting longer. But I firmly believe that God's sustenance and our community in Christ are keys to survival and success. And when it looks tough, and as the journey together continues, don't forget to keep your head on a swivel and your eyes open. For where there are tents, there is cake. Amen.